Today on Dwelling on Dreams, we are going to be celebrating our two-year anniversary from the time we started uh, on July 31st, Harry's birthday, uh, back in the olden days before COVID in 2019. It does feel like a very long time ago, I will say. It really does. 2019 (laughs) feels so long ago. (laughs) So much has happened. Yes, and we're we're going to go into a little bit of detail for those of you who have stuck with us for this whole time mm-hmm. about our first few episodes, the recording experience, what we did, what we did terribly wrong. <laughs> and, and if you uh, go back and listen to them again, you'll probably be somewhat more enriched by what you learned here today. If you're just finding us now, then maybe when you listen to our first couple episodes, you will give us some grace. <laughs> Keep listening. It gets better. Yes, please do. Yes. It really does. Uh, We're also going to be talking about choices that our heroes made during wartime and whether they were ethical or not. And obviously, we're not going to talk about the things that are uncontroversial, like, you know, defeating a dark lord. That was a good thing. But some of the more uh, shady things that they did and choices they made and whether they were justified. Yep. So ethics discussion. Woohoo. Yes. Wartime ethics, guys. Always, (laughs) Always, <laughs> but we actually are really kind of excited about it. So we hope you think it's fun too, because we had that discussion and <laughs> it was kind of funny. It would not be fun if we were talking about actual people and politicians and soldiers making actual really hard choices like this, you know, but we're not, we're talking about fictional characters and things that real people actually can't do. So <laughs> it makes life a little bit easier. There we go. Um, all right, so to start off, though, we are going to talk about the origins of Drilling on Dreams. We've talked about why we started, um, but, and so a quick recap of that, it was, we, you know, spent lots of our time with each other talking about Harry Potter and not just Harry Potter, but other, you know, geeky fandom things, um, but mostly Harry Potter. And we realized, we realized we had a lot to say. And so we were like, <laughs> why don't we just record this and turn it into a podcast? And uh, yeah. And I think I'd been listening to a ton of podcasts because there were um, some of my colleagues at my full-time job that were really into them and had just gotten in. And I'd been like, oh, well, both of us actually have a background um, from college. We both have the same degree from the same place. And we had an audio visual background. So we knew the systems, we knew the technical specifications of what would work and what we would need. And if we didn't, we could research it and be fine. And so it really wasn't quite as daunting as I think that um, when we told people that we were starting the podcast, that was the first thing people were just like, wait, what? Yeah, they're way <laughs> more impressed than do deserve. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I think the hard part really has been the content planning has been the hard part, but actually getting it started. If you're looking to start a podcast, startup is not that bad. Yeah, it was, uh, we did have to buy a little bit of equipment, you know, Mm -hmm. hosting. There was some planning involved, but it was just, you know, a couple of times meeting up, going to Target, you know, ordering some things on Amazon. Amazon. Amazon is your friend. Yes. Amazon is everybody's friend. Um, So once we had all of our equipment and we had, we had, oh my goodness, so many ideas and a huge, huge spreadsheet, color coded, it still exists. Yes. We still refer to back to it today. We add new things in and our huge spreadsheet was finished uh, to that point. And we started tying things in. We had about, uh, I think probably about 10 episodes to start. We usually try to do 
content planning in terms of like five or 10 episodes in advance. And we had it all ready. And then we got it together to meet up to record and had this very, very lofty goal of recording three episodes at a time. Yes. And we, at the time were saying somewhere between 45 minutes to an hour per episode. And yes, then knowing so we, that we'd we all would... geared up for a day of podcast recording. Yes. And we, because our idea, oh, sorry, our idea was that we would record once a month. Yes. And then, you know, we're like, okay, maybe an hour and a half of record time. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll end up with whatever uh, we end up with. And so, and for those of you who were there with us at the start or have since begun, our first episode was about JK Rowling rather than the series or the plot or the characters, which was fine, but it's much more difficult to talk about. Like we had to research beforehand. We had, to, we were talking about real events with a, a instead of what we really love talking about, which is mm-hmm. the plot, like I said, and the magic and the characters, you know, things that we know really well that we can engage with, that we can speculate on wildly, as opposed to, again, uh, a real concrete life events and a person. It was much more difficult for us to just kind of get into the flow and talk. I compounded the issue somewhat by uh, misreading the, the timing on GarageBand. I don't know if for those of you who use it, when you, the default is, to use measures rather it is than for good talk. time yes because it is for for people producing music so it sort of makes uh, sense but yeah. I so I was misreading as measures the seconds and minutes and so we got we talked probably for like an yeah, hour think, 45 minutes at least yeah almost two hours for the first episode and I I did not realize we were, I was confused because it was show like we had seemed to be talking and talking and talking and making things up. And it was not, we did. Okay. No, we didn't make things up. We just expounded (laughs) to more minutia than we actually thought we would need to go into. We were exhausted trying to think of things to say. We didn't make things up, but, but we did eventually get to the end of our talk about JK Rowling and, um, it's we had enough at that point probably but i didn't realize it because i was reading the time wrong so we added an entirely new segment that we hadn't planned on about the mirror of air said mm-hmm. which which we both were were comfortable talking about so it kind of gave us a little bit of a boost of energy and excitement because we we could kind of just take the topic and run with it as opposed to what we had been doing but still we talked for so long and it wasn't until the very end of the recording episode that i realized oh wait <laughs> I've yeah. been looking at this entirely wrong. Let me change the settings. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have enough content. We have enough content. For one episode. So, yes. <laughs> it, it was not. Um, <laughs> it was a very, very exhausting episode. I will yes, say. we were very drained by the end of it, but we were also stubborn. <clears throat> we, are, we are. Yes. Stubborn. Yeah, we refused That's... to not do at least two. Yes, maybe something that our listeners don't, don't quite know about it, but we are very stubborn, the two of us together. So, yes. and we, we didn't end up doing three because that just, we were hit a wall. We, there's mm-hmm. no way we could have done it, but we mm-hmm. probably should have taken a break and come back to for the second episode, but we didn't, we powered through. And again, it was a, it was a much easier topic for us to engage mm-hmm. with. So it wasn't quite as bad as the, fir- the first episode was just exhausting. Um, yeah. So if our energy seems down on that second episode, <laughs> you will know why, why. Um, we were still a little shell shocked there. Yes. 
and then this we recorded the second two together as well and it went better yeah but i think after that point we realized recording two at one time you're just you can do it and it's fine but by the end of it you can tell the energy is flagging and we don't want you all to feel every other episode (laughs) that our energy is flagging by the end of it so we only record one at a time now yeah there definitely have been I think episodes looking back on the last like 40 episodes that we've done 42 that at the end they're just harder topics and at the end you feel a bit drained because they just are heavy and hard to talk about and but necessary to have a full view of I mean the whole series and motivations and ramifications and yeah so definitely I still have those times where I think sometimes at the end of the episode we're just like woo all right we're done (laughs) yes talked about that next time we're gonna have a happy one all right yeah and we have gotten one, to where we schedule happy episodes in between. Yes. Or at very least, you know, lighthearted or non, nothing with any sort of gravity toward it. Sometimes we just, mm-hmm. even if they're not particularly happy, at least things that are easy to talk about. Right. This one could go either way. Today, our, our wartime ethics, I think I'm kind of excited about it, but it could steer off into some darker places. So. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it because it's just a deeper discussion and I like those better personally. But yeah, it, it's not a topic I would just engage with somebody. Yeah, it's not a happy this. topic. No. no Especially would... because it casts people that we like and love and characters that we're attached to in bad lights. Or What? They're not perfect? <laughs> what? Some people have claimed that the characters occasionally do bad things. I don't know what those people oh. are thinking, but... You know. I don't know. They're just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's that's the in. origin story of dwelling on dreams. Thank you all for yes. listening. Yes. And hopefully you enjoy it. <laughs> yes. And hopefully it will, it will allow you to give us some grace <laughs> yes. as far as those first couple of episodes go. But into our main discussion, uh, as we've mentioned, we're talking about wartime ethics. And we've actually run a blog post similar not exactly the same topic but kind of overlapping of things that the characters did um that that were not that were not okay in more ordinary circumstances anyway mm-hmm. i will say that in the blog post i'm referencing it, it covers more than just wartime decisions it also covers you know just everyday things that they did that were you know not okay right so we're looking at whether in the context of the overall goal of defeating Voldemort and ending his reign, does that end justify the means? Mm -hmm. Um, And so honestly, I don't think we're going to come to a lot of conclusions today. I think we'll talk about it, but I don't know that a lot of these cases, I don't know what choice I would made. It's hard to judge. First of all, they're fictional characters, but you know, I've never been in a situation where I'm making those kind of, you know, life altering, I mean, it's easy to say, oh, no, I'd never do that. But yet at the same time, when you're in that situation, faced with that choice back up against the wall, even more dramatic, um, what, you know, what you would do sometimes surprises you, I think. Yeah. So, well, let's, let's dive in then. So my, I'm going to go kind of chronologically, if that works for you, I don't know. Sure. That's fine. Okay. Um, 
my the first really shady thing I think Harry did in the interest of the war effort was when he got Slughorn drunk and then manipulated him into giving him information. Mm. This I feel less strongly about because it's not like Slughorn didn't know what he was doing when he got drunk. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, Harry was drunk he, him. Was he already a bit of the way there too? Or is that just me? No, he... No, no, no. Well, yeah, Harry didn't encourage him to drink. He just drank. Mm-hmm. And Harry yeah, was okay. under the influence of Felix Felicius, which is probably why he drank. But Harry didn't directly intervene to, you know, force anything down his throat or encourage <laughs> it even. So... Put a wand to his head. You must drink this now. Yeah. That did not happen. No, it did not happen. There's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing where would Slughorn have drunk if Harry hadn't taken the Felix Felicius? Therefore, was it Harry's fault? I don't really know that i'm sure that there's magical theorists in the harry potter world that could tell you (laughs) that but more power to them (laughs) yes have fun with that um but harry did go out there with the intention of manipulating slughorn and then Mm. when the opportunity presented itself you know basically I, i think i've said in the blog post that he weaponized his parents deaths and to you know caused him to feel guilty and ashamed and horrified and sad and all the things that Harry needed him to feel in order to just give him the memory of Voldemort discussing the Horcruxes. Mm-hmm. I suppose I feel this is probably like the less lesser sin maybe of a lot of the other things that they did in, on this list. Um, because again, Slughorn was the one who drank of his own free will more or less and Harry just gave some hard truths really in order to you know take advantage of that state and get the memory i also though feel like it was one of the less necessary dumbledore put such an importance on this memory but dumbledore already suspected heavily Mm -hmm. what the memory said there was there wasn't too much really to be it was just a confirmation yeah it wasn't necessarily like a new truth that he never thought of or didn't have an idea about yeah I, I always felt that Dumbledore putting such importance on that memory was more about Harry than about the memory or Slughorn, like hmm. trying to get Harry involved and, you know, doing th- like what it was needed in order for the war to work. And this was kind of a stepping stone to do that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because Dumbledore already knew that there were multiple Horcruxes. He probably had a pretty good idea that they were, he had planned on six. It always bugged me a little bit that this happened there was no real need for it you go back and she introduced the felix places pretty much for this reason with the book it's huge foreshadowing on oh this is going to be something important because they talk about it so much but at the same point i do agree like the whole thing didn't really need to be there except for dumbledore to confirm his theory which i mean there's something to be said for actually having confirmation before getting too far down a road and that not actually being it but I think it was unfair of him to pressure Harry as much as he did to get this memory I don't think that was a fair thing to expect out of a 16 year old yeah and I I think that okay yes he probably did need the confirmation because if he had he guessed that there were six horcruxes or at least six planned horcruxes but if he'd been wrong, it could have been a catastrophic <laughs> failure, mm-hmm. you know, because if he had 
either <clears throat> guess too high, then they'll spend the rest of their lives looking for something that doesn't exist. If you right. guess too low, then Voldemort never becomes mortal. So yes, it would have been a terrible thing if he had missed his guess, but as Dumbledore himself said, his guesses are good and almost always right. So um, yeah, he's super modest. He's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, super modest. Super, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I will say though that with the exception of that task, Harry doesn't really have much to do in the sex book. That's part of the reason I dislike it. There's no like driving overarching story he learns a lot of things from Dumbledore which is interesting but right. Harry doesn't have a lot to do so other than him trying to get the memory out of Slughorn J.K. Rowling didn't give like there just wasn't much driving the plot forward in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah no I would agree it it is a book very much led by external <laughs> sources as far as Harry's concerned yeah um, I mean it was necessary that he does yeah was necessary there's a lot of things that happened that needed to happen Harry just getting better Mm -hmm. informed Dumbledore's death obviously is important but I've never cared for the book overall no I and I don't think many people would find fault in that either I don't think that's a super popular book for a lot of people but yes no it definitely it's a very different book from the others not necessarily saying that that's bad or good it's just it's a very different book it's breaks out of the formula that she'd been writing which is not a bad thing and but yeah I think Harry has definitely made a more passive character in that book and then it's kind of a jump to get him back in on the seventh book as that active yeah although that was also very much against the form of the previous ones um, the seventh book is really where all of the rest of the hard decisions are made. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Starting with, um, and this, you know, and I'm sure our listeners know, makes me mad, but Hermione's decision to completely eradicate her parents' oh, identities. Yes. yes. If you, <laughs> hopefully they know this by now. If you've hung around here any amount of time, this has been brought up. Yes. I think yes. a few times, which is not bad. I yeah it just makes me and it makes me mad that it's never it's seen as this great sacrifice she's making and it's never brought up again as a oh my goodness you just like that's a super villain move to just like yeah wipe out someone's personality and replace it with their own like you know a, yeah it, like that's horrifying that she did this and I I've always been curious about what the conversation that led up to it like did they add did she ask them to leave and they said no because they're she's 17 and you know they don't want to leave her in a war zone without them because mm-hmm. they're her parents and she just said well that's that might be what you think but here let me just force you to go you know or did she just not even broach the conversation <laughs> did she decide my parents need to take on new identities that I force on them and then leave well that's how it is in the movie which obviously movie is not completely canon when compared to books but in the movie she just kind of does it behind their back when they're watching tv and Again, it's seen as sympathetic to Hermione. Yeah, I mean, the first time she did it, I was just, when I watched it the first time, I was like, what? You know, very much like, she's protecting them, but then, I no, I was just like, that's not okay. That's not okay to do. And in the movie, you don't know what she, everything that she did. You see that she wipes herself from their mm. lives, imply, at least implying that they can no longer remember her. But mm. she doesn't just do that. She, like completely takes away everything about their identity completely new identities yeah yeah makes them different country yeah they do different i think they 
she makes them have a different profession too. I don't know if I don't know about that, that knowledge, but um, yeah, she completely does it. And I don't think she did that with the intention of turning them back, right? I don't think you can, can you? Oh, I think she. Oh, do you think that she was going to planning on turning them back? Yeah, I, I mean, I think all? I I always assumed that she would go and find them and and bring them back, try to reverse it. But she's not great with memory charms. It was like her first attempt. So whether or not she could, I don't know. I do think that um, she was doing it with the idea that she might not survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that she's going to keep them safe and happy because they don't know that they have a daughter. So if she dies, it doesn't matter. But that is a, like, big, like, (laughs) sorry. I'm just, I'm trying to think of the right words to describe. If they're happy, like, it doesn't happiness for another person is not the goal mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so in these kind of situations mm-hmm. being, you know it's it's letting them experience and you know still love their daughter and yes maybe even yeah. mourn her is much much more noble thing than to just oh, let me keep them ignorant and away from things and they'll just be you know blissfully no, 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 unaware no. and you know I don't know. So I'm going to jump off of this one because I could spend forever on it without saying anything more insightful than I already have. (laughs) Yeah, but valid to bring up. Valid to bring up. I, so I don't, I will say, I will say I do not think that this is justified. It was wartime. Yes, they were defenseless. Yes, shoot. They'd probably be targets because she was friends with Harry Potter. I understand all that. I agree with all that. Mm -hmm. But there are other ways that they could have been protected even if they are reluctant, the Dursleys were super reluctant and they managed to protect them and they were, you know, directly blood related to Harry. So right. I don't think this was justified in any way, despite, even though it was a war, even though it was exceptional circumstances. Maybe not. <laughs> Do you think it was justified? No. Okay. No, I don't think it was justified. So, so far I've had tepid feelings one way or the other about Slughorn. Yeah, um, I'm mostly okay with it, um, and deeply negative ones about Hermione's choices for her parents. I mean, I'm okay with the Slughorn thing, but I just don't think Dumbledore should have set him up that way in the first place. But yeah, I mean, Dumbledore more, was act- more actively- of a background thing than an actual thing with the Slughorn because I feel like Slughorn he got himself drunk. So yeah, Dumbledore was actively trying to get Harry more engaged in the war and more not excited about it, but. <laughs> personally invested there we go <laughs> personally we invested go. in the war much better way of saying yeah, that excited yay mm. uh. <laughs> so and the, right after they watched the memories when that big speech about you know so you know they imagine if if you'd never met you know or if you never heard about the prophecy imagine if how you'd feel and basically forcing Harry to admit that yeah I want to kill him so that was Dumbledore's <laughs> fun emotional okay. manipulation <laughs> anyway. um okay so this one is i i don't know that i would classify it as wartime ethical decisions but i did have a think about it and i was wondering i had a question for you mm. remus as we know tried to abandon his family to go help harry and Etc. Ron, Ron and Hermione. Um, let me start it over. Remus, as we know, tried to abandon his wife, his pregnant wife, to go help Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And it's roundly condemned, you know, 
Harry obviously is deeply upset by the idea and, you know, basically throws him out of his house. Um, well, sort of. He, he does leave by his own volition. <laughs> but, um, but it's not, a, it's, I mean, Harry obviously wants him gone and he wants him to go back. And yeah. I, I had a thought, though, in the context of Remus could have probably been somewhat helpful in some situation. In the context of this is a war and in with a different character or even a different series, it might have been seen as, you know, noble or laudable that Remus was willing to leave every, you know, leave his family and and do what was necessary for the war effort. And I was wondering if you thought, because Harry has very strong feelings about parenting, as we know, Uh because his parents died. Um, In a different situation, though, when it's not Harry, when it's one of the other characters, or again, in just even a different, not Harry Potter, different series, do you think Remus' choice to leave and join them could have been seen as a positive wartime decision? Mm -hmm. Okay, so to do, to... Okay, so to analyze that, we have to look at Remus's motives for why he was wanting to come and join Harry, Ron, and Hermione. It was not because he, he was not doing it to be some grand sacrificial gesture of, oh, I'm going to, like, they need me. They, they couldn't do this without me. They need me. I am going to go and like this is where you know like I I will give up this time with you and possibly my life and not know this baby um to help them because I am needed and like I'm an integral part of this and like it's not it wasn't noble intentions with why he went to Harry he was running away because he was scared of the prospect of fatherhood and I think also being in that relationship I think I think it was just a bit, it was too much for him at the time. And in his weakness, he just was like, I, I just, I'm not strong enough to do this. I, I can't do this. I'm going to go and, you know, I could be needed. Um, it was just different. It's different intentions. I think if it was something where, you know, normally like in a war where you're going, but you're going to protect your country and you're going to protect your family, it's a little different than trying to run away from your family. I don't know if I put that the most eloquently, but. No, I absolutely agree. But I think, again, in another context, maybe his motivations wouldn't have been scrutinized the way they were when it, because he presented it very much as a. Yeah, I think we just knew the character too well to see through it. And Harry knew him too well to see through it, right? So people may have had that motive. And yeah, we may not know that about their character when we read about them in another series or something like that, sure. And laud them for coming because when they present it, they present their, obviously people want to present their case in the best light. So they, you know, give all the justifications for wanting to be there and why they're needed and all of that. And we maybe just don't have that background on the character, but we knew too much about him at that point. And to be honest, I mean, he basically did the same thing but with different motives when he came to the Battle of Hogwarts. People mm. forget he left Tonks and the baby behind. She followed him eventually, but like he he's obviously at that point proud of his son and excited to be a father. Like there was right. because he was showing pictures around, he was, you know, yeah, it was, it was different, different, but it was also <clears throat> the same. He left them to go fight the war. And in that case, it was like, oh yay, Remus is doing the noble thing. It, it's always I didn't 
occur to me till you know today when I was thinking about this episode that it could be seen in a different light as a wartime decision if of course we didn't know Remus well enough and Harry hadn't called him on it which Harry did very much so very much so mm-hmm. Harry was not letting him get away with that not even a little bit mm-hmm. all right so this is another more hypothetical one than actual but we're going chronologically so um <laughs> Uh, so Harry, Ron, and Hermione escape from Bill and Floor's wedding after the ministry is taken over. Mm-hmm. And Hermione says Voldemort's name, not knowing that it is taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, so Death Eaters come to the little muggle cafe where they're uh, hiding out, and there's a battle. Mm-hmm. And it was <clears throat> skirmish, really, which, you know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione win, which good for them. Mm-hmm. Yay um surprising but good for them yeah well harry was invisible so probably helped. that is true and he did surprise and so he was able to like just watch like he realized something was off immediately he was able to just stare at them until he realized what was going on so that helps well um anyway so they have the death eaters i think one of them's unconscious the other one is petrified if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken and ron immediately jumps to do we kill them now, Ron never actually makes a very big, ethically questionable choice, mostly because it's left to Harry to make final decisions. Mm-hmm. But Ron seems more okay with the ethically questionable choices than either Harry or Hermione. And the fact that his mind immediately jumped to killing them is concerning. Um, mm-hmm. I think we have mentioned this one too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we did. But I, yeah, it is interesting to me that that's where Ron's mind went. And, and Harry doesn't immediately, I mean, Hermione doesn't contradict him and Harry doesn't immediately discard the idea. He thinks about it for a while. Mm-hmm. They decide eventually to do a memory charm, which does not hold up, which is why I have little faith in Hermione's <laughs> abilities in that arena. Because <laughs> uh, Voldemort finds out almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the question is, if three teenagers who had just been attacked and were at war with these people decided after the battle was over to go ahead and just kill them. So, you know, as taking out an enemy, as opposed to, you know, just cold-blooded murder, would it still be cold-blooded murder, I guess, in your humble opinion? In my humble opinion? (laughs) Wait, so like if they'd killed them at that point, would it be cold-blooded murder? Or if they found them later, would it be cold-blooded murder? What do you mean if they found them later? I don't, I couldn't. I thought from your question, you were implying that finding them later. And I was like, wait, what? No, no. If, um, that, if at that point when Ron said, what do we do with them? Do we kill them? And they decided that was the best course of action and they did it. Um, Would that have been justified? Mm. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm a pacifist, I guess. I don't really think killing anyone is ever completely justified i mean i understand war and all of that i get that but i'm always going to take the tack of never justified um but can i understand in their panic and their fear and knowing that those people would probably kill or capture them to be killed and very likely would go on to kill more people in the context of the war you know, these are death eaters. They're not going to, you know, learn the error of their ways and sit 
totally no thumbs at home from this point on. They're <laughs> going to be contributing to Voldemort's cause. Right. So I, I, I agree that they should not have killed them because the battle was over or the skirmish or whatever they should have call it. like done something else to imprison and incapacitate and something, but I don't, I, I'm going to probably always go with killing's not the answer. Um, in the heat of battle, there's one thing, but it was the battle was over. They're at their mercy. I agree. It would have been. It would have yeah. been the kind of thing where, like, okay, I see it, but still not really okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think I would have had to do some soul searching to excuse that character's actions, but it wouldn't have been like I couldn't have hundred per, you know, like it wouldn't have been something where I could completely not see their point of view. Um, yeah, still probably not what I would have wanted to go with. Yeah. And to your point about finding the solution, I agree, but at the time, I don't think they had any yeah, I don't options they, for yeah. detaining them or even turning them over to the order. They just, they had just fled and knew right. that making contact could be catastrophic on all ends. So, yeah. So I see why they went with the memory charm. It was stunningly ineffective, but you know, <laughs> they tried. Um, okay. Let's see. We're moving on to think grip hook which i find to be supremely distasteful even if understandable Mm. when after they've rescued grip hook from malfoy manor and themselves Mm -hmm. from malfoy manor well dobby (laughs) really did um oh dobby they ask for grip hook's help robbing green gods which is a admittedly a huge ask that's not something small and no <laughs> i've actually I've always found this scene kind of amusing because harry doesn't warn ron and hermione what he's about to ask of grip hook he just kind of does it and they're all they're all things like excuse me but then <laughs> and i've always thought it also showed off their loyalty to harry because they immediately started defending the idea like hard to grip yeah. like both of them were just like immediately sold sure. and okay this is what we're doing yeah okay let's convince him like i was <laughs> I, i've always kind of amused me and then also impressed me but their reactions like was to immediately just back his play no questions asked um true <laughs> friendship yes yes we're gonna rob Green i don't know of i don't know i don't know if i could <laughs> it depends i guess <laughs> well they kind of suspected after like you said it why he was asking but they didn't have confirmation until after the conversation was already over. Oof. But yeah, they just immediately back to play. Anyway, um, and Grip Hook, you know, doesn't give him an answer, calls him back later and says that I'll do it, but I want the Sword of Gryffindor. So Gryffindor is, of course, necessary to destroy Horcruxes, and so they can't give him the sword. <clears throat> they also yeah. can't not break into Green Guts because that's where Hunt with Horcruxes is. So we're again at a chicken and egg scenario of which is. Do we want the Horcruxes more? The means to destroy Horcruxes more. Um, and they eventually decide, although Ron's the most okay with it, no one's really excited about it, to not specify when they're going to hand the sword over. Mm-hmm. Just agree to his terms and then just keep the sword until the end of the war. And then give it to Grip Hook. So <laughs> this one is just more like a shady dealing than mm-hmm. you know making a more black and white moral choice like the ones we've been talking about you know killing and you know like almost more like the slughorn thing right but they know how 
strongly Grip Cook feels about Wizard Goblin relations and how he feels they've been mistreated in the past, like, and how he feels Harry is different. Mm-hmm. He's explained all this to them in great detail. Yes. <laughs> and so the fact that then they turn around and like, okay, let's betray him has always felt like a double betrayal almost to that me. Feels, that feels slimy. I agree. Yeah. I think, well, and one, they, the sort of Gryffindor is like legendary for coming to people in their time of need. So did they not trust that? Okay, we'll give this to you. We'll probably get it back for the end of the war, but like. <laughs> yeah, but that's assuming a great deal that you're going that to be true. in the exact situation to get the sword and also be being courageous at that moment. Like <laughs> we never true. actually see the sword of just appear out of thin air. It's always through um, the Something sorting like the hat. hat or, yeah. yeah. Or someone's placed it, it somewhere. Right. So even though I don't think you can really take it without having like Ron and Harry needed to be being valiant in order to get it from where Snape left it, it was physically left there by Snape. It wasn't that it. Right. So I, I don't know. We, like I just assumed that it would pop up somewhere again in the near future. <laughs> still, still super oily. Yeah. To do that and. Eh. I do wonder if they're like they had mentioned briefly offering him something else. And was it like at Muriel's tiara goblin made? Like, weren't there other mm-hmm. things that they might have been able to like, let me see if we can find something else that he would be equally excited about? They dismissed it because of course they don't have any other goblin made swords lying around in bronze words. Um, but they're they didn't think about nego- they didn't try to negotiate at all. They, they didn't just or explore other options. I do think if he they had you know, they would have had to convince Aunt Muriel to part with that tiara, which apparently she was, you know, not excited about. That, oh, you know, Aunt Muriel. Loved Aunt Muriel. Yes, she was the worst. Um, <laughs> but you'd think that somebody in the Weasley family could have, you know, convinced her. Um, right. And if they had tried that track or at least explored other options before just deciding to double cross him without even any other thoughts of their potential. <laughs> possibilities yeah um i would have felt better about it yeah so I, I i think it was probably justified but it does you're right feel oily and slimy and gross yeah i think i think there's something to be said about that whole negotiation tactic that they just completely just were like yeah sure and then try to figure it out in the background the best way for themselves and all of that uh, to be fair it was their like first and only attempt in the series at any sort of diplomatic resolution to a problem they didn't had never really tried to negotiate or they never had to deal with someone who wasn't on their side and but wasn't not on their side if that makes right. sense wasn't for them or against them but they wanted something from them that had never happened to harry i don't think everyone's always for him or against him <laughs> so which there's just something about that but yeah it's yeah. not supremely realistic but yes <laughs> like harry's a very polarizing figure but grip right. doesn't have strong feelings about harry and he's not firmly on one side or the other of the war, kind of like Ollivander. But Ollivander felt much more personally indebted to Harry than Griphook did. Well, Ollivander had just also gotten tortured. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. so so Harry had never had never come from an almost neutral negotiation position, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. This was his first and only time in the series that I can think of anyway. I just imagine that set goblin and wizard relations back for a while. Yeah, well, I probably more the the break in at Gringotts was. You know, I think it all compounded. It all just 
But mm-hmm. okay, but Grip Hook, I can't imagine told anybody that he agreed to break into Gringotts to betray his people. Like, I don't think that ever came out, am I? Ah, that's I had to guess. very true. He probably kept his mouth because he was pretended that he discovered them, that they were mm-hmm. thieves, and that he was the one who saw him. And so he ran back into this crowd of goblins during the break in. I can't imagine he ever, he had to have stuck to that story or else he would have been, you know, dead. <laughs> yeah, pretty quickly. Anyway. Um, you probably set relations between Harry and Gripook back a while since they yeah. didn't cross, cross each other <laughs> mutually. Um, anyway, oh, so let, that brings us neatly to the, the Gringotts break in, um, and to some extent the Ministry break in. But I, there, I feel like there was less collateral damage there. I agree than there was for Gringotts. We don't hear. Obviously, this is less than twenty-four hours before the end of the war. So we mm-hmm. don't hear about any sort of aftermath from the Green Goss break-in. Um, but they did go to like the deepest level, mm-hmm. steal a dragon. Well, they, well, we'll come back to how they got to the deepest level in a second here. But they stole a dragon, which, okay, the dragon was being mistreated. That could be seen as noble. But then they proceeded to dig their way out all the way up to the street level of London, um, presumably through... A, lots of vaults, so lots of property damage, and B, hmm. lots of people populating the bank, assuming that there were, I mean, it's not like the lower levels anyway are, you know, densely populated, but there had to be some people that were harmed, if not killed, during that whole thing, and right. never really, that never seems to cross anybody's mind during the book. <laughs> no, 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 there's just too much, there's too much going on. There's dragon, is. you got riding the dragon, you got going to Hogwarts, you got a battle, eh, collateral damage at a bank. Yeah. Again, I can they didn't I can see why it was necessary for them to break into Green Guts. And when they were pinned down, which I weren't expecting, mm-hmm. Harry made some very fast, very, you know, risky choices. Very hairy choices. Yes, very hairy choices to get not Hermione choices. Hairy choices. Yes, for those of you who watched the the movies, they gave Hermione that choice. I'm convinced because they took away her brilliant escape from Xenophilius Lovegood's house plan in the movie. So they instead of that, they decided to give her the brilliant escape from Green God's plan. Mm -hmm. But Harry, it was Harry's idea (laughs) in the books. Um, Anyway, uh, what was I? Anyway, so I again, you you can see. In them, they did not plan to hurt anybody when they went to right. Gringotts. If the plan had gone off without a hitch, no one would have even realized they were there. It did not go off without a hitch. <laughs> um, and so, and in the again, okay, it was more heat of the moment, heat of the battle, had to escape. And and because he was Harry Potter, he did have to escape. There wasn't a, you know, Harry be staying alive was one of the driving forces of. <laughs> most of the country at that point <laughs> so, so there wasn't like it, harry being self-sacrificial and saving the innocent lives at the cost of his own would have been a terrible thing like and he yeah. knew that he couldn't die so he made the quick choice to just jump on the back of a dragon and see what happens and so i feel that that was more justified oh. however i think there's an unrealistic view of what the consequences probably were right i yeah i don't want to be around for that fallout and I'm sure that's not something they necessarily wanted to deal with right after the battle either. So I wonder. <laughs> Probably not. Were they never allowed to bank there again? What happened to his assets uh, are still inside the bank. Yeah. 
and again, similar idea with the ministry. I don't remember any situation where someone would have died, but there's probably innocent people that he was injured at least, or, you know, mm-hmm. was fighting against, but you know, no one was seriously hurt. So I'm not, don't feel as strongly, but it could have been, it could right. have been a very similar situation to the green gods break in. We just, you know, it went better by pure <laughs> chance. Um, that is an accurate description <laughs> by pure chance. It went better. Yeah. There was AKA like a little whole book. <laughs> yeah. I, I still cracks me up. They three of them impersonated they did all like a month of research and they still ended up impersonating three people that about whom they knew absolutely nothing, not even their names. Harry didn't know the name of the guy he was nope. body Ron had a wife <laughs> until someone called him by the name in the ministry. Like it was yeah. terrible. It was terrible. But anyway, um I will also say they did not Harry did not even attempt to consider exploring any other options than breaking into green gods, which could he like there there might have been some sort of goblin policy about dark artifacts that he didn't know about like mm-hmm. could he have at least asked grip hook if there was right. some sort of other diplomatic or non-violent way i think that's you know once all? he agreed you know to what grip hook wanted that we just discussed with no negotiation i don't think grip hook would have had a reason to tell him if there was a clause you know it might have been something that if they negotiated or it it possibly could have come up and they could have done this much more peaceably yeah and um, and Griphook didn't know what they were going after I mean Horcruxes mm-hmm. according to Dumbledore and you know the books that they had were like this horrifying universally agreed upon like just evil evil you know object mm-hmm. and maybe and but he didn't know what they were after he just knew that Harry said he wasn't doing it for personal gain could have mm-hmm. been something that was perfectly legal but that would have helped him in the war effort Mm -hmm. i think if i don't know if the goblins would have had a different had a policy or a an opinion about a horcrux in one of their vaults but harry didn't even ask (laughs) so we will never know no um the last thing i have on my list is the use of the unforgivable curses by harry and minerva mcgonagall harry uses the imperious curse during the gringotts break-in as to help them get down to the vault because mm-hmm. they are um they realize they've been warned that Bellatrix Lestrange is confined to Malfoy Manor they know her wand has been stolen so mm-hmm. when Hermione has it they are putting two and two together very rapidly um so Harry uses the imperious curse to you know convince the goblin who's goblin questioning is, them right but, well, yeah, yeah and Travers Travers too I think um to convince them that the one is not Bellatrix Lestrange's, ironically, and that um, they should take him down the vault. So he doesn't do it very well. He's never tried it before, but it does the job. Um, and in that case, I feel that that was justified. He wasn't using it like as a long-term ploy to control someone's life or to infiltrate right. anybody. He was just, he needed to get down to the vault. It was non-negotiable and it was a very temporary attempt to, you know, it was more utilitarian maybe than you know, mm-hmm. relational like most of the emperor's curses maybe are he um yeah he i will say in the books it always bothered me that in the movies he imperiouses this goblin he forces them to help and then he gets allows him to be you know destroyed by dragon fire <laughs> like he forces them he forces this poor goblin down into the vault with them and then he like dies a horrible death 
in the movie that's in the movie in the book in the movie yes in the book he does tell the goblin to hide like the goblin's not even like once he realizes things are going poorly the goblin mm-hmm. is not even with them anymore so i, I always bothered me that in this movie they just had him die <laughs> like a red shirt in you know, star trek you know, just, show the seriousness oh, of <laughs> just show the seriousness of the situation <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Um, that is very true. I hadn't thought about that before, but it is true. I think, I mean, it's probably just like a interesting shot that they wanted to get. And But yeah, yeah. poor innocent goblin. Yeah, that was there because of them. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I get why he used the Imperius curse. No one was really hurt by it in the books. <laughs> um, it was, and it was not malicious. However... <laughs> Then Harry gets into Hogwarts and uh, he witnesses uh, Amicus Caro, Caro, however you pronounce that, spit in McGonagall's face, mm-hmm. which understandably makes him angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his he immediate response. Yes, his immediate response is to cast the Cruciatus curse and torture the man until he so hard that he gets blasted back against the cabinet and gets knocked out. Not by magic. He was like knocked out by an actual knock to his head. By force. A lot. <laughs> which is unusual for Harry Potter books, but that's what happened. Hmm. Um, anyway, and, and then McGonagall calls it Gallant or Gallant. I was never quite sure how to pronounce that. Gallant? I always thought it was Gallant, but okay. I have heard people say Gallant. Okay. I don't. Sorry, just go with Gallant. And then McGonagall, instead of saying, you can't do to- torture people because you're mad at them. Right. That was very gallant, Potter, but like, come on, seriously? That's, that wasn't, that was a bad thing. That was a bad thing. That was what we're not supposed to do. Retaliation and out of anger different. is, you know, the exact definition of revenge. And, you know, I'm like, that's just not how <laughs> Harry Potter is supposed to operate. And certainly not McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Um, but then McGonagall, once he starts to stir from being knocked on the head, Mm-hmm. cast the imperious curse and or i think she, she cast it on both of him both him and his and am electo or just him i can't or just her anyway she casts it on at least one of the siblings the caro siblings maybe mm-hmm. both i don't remember i um, thought it was just one but again could be wrong yeah there's see. a lot going on <laughs> in that scene yeah i think maybe it was electo and then she had her gathered up both wands and hand them to mm, McGonagall mm-hmm. and then she strung them both up and he went up and still unconscious. Anyway, um, so yes, again, not just wanted to get them out of the way without killing them, so more understandable, but still not, you know, they these things are, have life sentence uh, right. penalties. Like, this is not something that they take lightly <laughs> in the listening world. And yet they just start, seem to start just throwing them around you <laughs> casually. Know because of the, good, the quote good guys yeah yeah there is a quote it's not a harry potter quote so which we rarely ever do so this will enjoy this guys um there's it's latin and i'm not going to try to read it in latin because i never <laughs> learned how to pronounce such things no but the um it it's popularly rendered in times of war the law falls silent which i feel like was very very much an evidence with how they used magic during the war the good guy side and obviously the bad guy side but um 
like McGonagall would never have even considered using the Imperius curse to solve a problem if it wasn't wartime and she didn't know full well that she'd be forgiven for it right and you wonder what to what extent they would have regretted their actions like after the battle was done Mm -hmm. like if any or would they have justified it or is that something that she did in the heat of the moment because she was upset and then later on you know that is something that she wrestles with i mean it's just interesting i mean harry didn't seem to wrestle with when he tried to torture Bellatrix the strange in the fifth book yeah no. i mean he seemed to have taken her instructions on how to do it to heart and tried it again and succeeded <laughs> that's like he he was enough of a hothead that he felt justified in, mm-hmm. in using those spells mcgonagall i felt i feel probably is probably enough of a pragmatist that she realized that the easiest way to get them out of the way and you know without killing them <laughs> would right. have been to use the imperious curse and then just you know set them aside for a while although there's probably easier ways to do that she was much better um, yeah i'm just thinking easiest doesn't always mean best though you know probably could again. have stunned them yeah and, <laughs> I mean, she, was a, she was a better witch she was a better you know duelist she could have just you know done an element of surprise way. stun yeah. or yeah. just yeah expelliarmus harry's favorite spell yes but that's the thing it's because it was wartime it was no longer some sort of taboo to use some of these spells it was just another arrow in their quiver and so it became yeah there's probably a a dozen other ways she could have done it that would have had the exact same results of them being strung up and out of the way but it she was you know she didn't have any reason not to because it was no longer this you know shameful thing it was just another thing you can do but that doesn't excuse it no the difference yeah no i agree but so probably like was she, did she do anything terrible terrible no was her attitude and harry's attitude towards the unforgivables you know bad shocking. yeah shocking on you know show how uncharacteristic honestly yeah. yes show how far they had come in the war and how much the oppression of voldemort's reign had you know taken its toll mm-hmm. i feel like yeah mm-hmm. yes yeah yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So even outside of the Harry Potter series, we have two Fantastic Beast movies that have come out and, you know, seeing the pinnacle, I guess, of Grindelwald's reign and how that kind of started up and kind of how that is going. Um, I think the next one comes out next year, right? Oh, I don't know. I think they're still filming or just finished filming. Okay, maybe a little bit still on that. But we've gotten two. So... I think we're going to have this type of thing come up a whole lot more in the next, what, three movies that they're making for this? I agree. So far, we have mostly seen uh, the bad guys, obviously, doing shady things. um, And somewhat the American ministry and the British ministry um, Mm -hmm. making... The American ministry, at least, it wasn't so much because of wartime because they didn't know Grindelwald was there. Mm-hmm. So that was just corruption, really. <laughs> when they, when, no uh, when one man decided to sentence him to death and everybody was like, okay, we'll carry that out. No problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that was just corruption more than wartime decisions. But the British ministry, especially in regards to sign just to kill credence without any sort of, mm-hmm. there, you know, there are certain things that the, they did and that or who killed that kid at Grindelwald's rally. Mm. Um, 
yes, the kid was the one who she instigated and that she started to try to attack the R, but to respond lethally was a terrible, yeah. terrible choice. Um, it might have just been that R being Kanakin, but still. Um, we haven't, but the main characters on, you know, Dumbledore's side, we haven't really seen them come up against any hard, ethically ambiguous, difficult questions yet. I don't think. Uh, I mean, the sister who has switched sides now. Well, okay. Grindelwald camp, but I mean, yeah, yeah that's less in the heat of the moment. That's a bit, yeah, that's true. <laughs> not the wrong choice. Wartime, it's just ethics. She didn't um, try to marry someone against his will, so yeah, I suppose that's, that's pretty. Before she, she has some things. Yes. Um, I think though the next couple of movies are definitely going to have to like deal more with the impact of that on her sister and on Newt and Dumbledore and all of that. I agree. Hmm. I think this one is going to be, it's really, it's going to be interesting how they portray Grindelwald as a dark lord because he's very different in a lot of ways from Voldemort. I don't necessarily know if he's different from Voldemort when Voldemort was younger, but Voldemort as we know him is much more focused on, like his followers are very much focused on violence and chaos. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a ton of strategy. There doesn't seem to be a ton of finesse. It's more of a blunt instrument type of right way of dealing with things. Grindelwald's different, and we can already see that from. I mean, both of the first two movies. Um, he definitely is a more sympathetic quote villain, as we are led to believe. I don't necessarily think that his. Message. Yeah, I don't. I think that his end goals are still what most people would classify as like not good and bad and not something domination. yeah you know not to be followed but uh, he's able to convince his followers to follow him for different reasons he's able to tap into frustrations that they have had and that they continue to have he's much more manipulative than Voldemort so I I don't know if I necessarily want to say like <laughs> as in refer- reference to that, but I'm glad that they're different. And I think this is just going to be a much more intriguing villain to watch yeah. than Voldemort, who is much more on the scare tactic than yeah. the actual manipulation. I, agree. I think Grindelwald kind of wanted people to see his cause and see it would, in his mind, quote, be better and kind of just like hand him the things he didn't necessarily want to take over with force it seems at this point i mean at the, i think at this point he's he is waging a more more for the hearts of people sort of because mm-hmm. when that girl did die he he told people to spread the word he didn't mm-hmm. he didn't want to fight back he didn't want and at no point did he try to you know attack any of the oars i mean mm-hmm. at, in that situation obviously he did when he was escaping but correct like he he never intended for there to be any sort of violence at that route no he just capitalized on the violence that happened right he wanted people to he wanted people to then turn against the ministry and toward him and he probably succeeded Mm -hmm. we didn't really see that um yeah i will say that in in crimes of grindelwald um a big deal was made of newt having to choose a side and you can't just stay neutral and he you know he said i don't you know Mm -hmm. don't do sides i have no interest in it um and then at the end of it, you know, when he, at that rally, when he sees the you know, woman he loves die and his brothers, he fights with his brother 
and he realizes yes i you know i have to i'm mm-hmm. choose a side i have to because newt is not a strong personality um no. So I do think that he's kind of, he made that that step of okay that this is happening yes <laughs> yeah he made that choice of okay this is happening the war you know I have to take a stand and I do think probably there will be then the next step will be these tough choices that he doesn't mm-hmm. want to make that he never that he was avoiding the war to not have to make you know I fully understand with that you know, that would be me uh, yeah so I get it. It'll, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see when, if ever, <laughs> they do release these. Yeah. I think, <laughs> it's um, been so long. We were talking, to just to tell our listeners, we were talking about how we need to brush back up on these movies because it has been a little bit. Yes. I remember I, we saw Crimes in theaters, and then mm-hmm. I remember we hadn't been planning on going to dinner together. <laughs> no we, like, we had to discuss it <laughs> yeah, so we went there's a it was, the theater we went to is like in a big um like mall area and so we went found a pizza place and like sat down and like talked for two hours we had to decompress on that one guys <laughs> we had to think it through i think on our list of topics for the next few weeks we're going to be discussing you know what the theories and the the claims that may be made their plausibility what theories we have about what's mm-hmm. gonna happen next because it was a lot and we haven't really visited it yet yeah the first one wasn't the first one was not a lot i no. liked the first one but it would definitely have not it was a good ride i've seen that one a few times i'm much more well versed in it the second one i think i've only seen the once and i remember some of it a good bit but it's just like mm, i need to watch this again <laughs> yeah i do too it was just yeah lots of bombs being dropped all the end and then you without any sort of time to try to decide if you believe them <laughs> yes yes i would agree and then they've put off this one yes so we'll, we'll i'm sure we won't find out the answer to many of these questions until oh no oh no movie. when i'm, I'm sure, sure this will bring up more questions oh yeah and i'm sure that the fifth movie will end you know with in 1945 with the duel between grindelwald and dumbledore and yeah i'm sure and then we'll have some kind of cameo of tom riddle Probably. I'd really like that. I realize that that would be pandering, but I'm okay with them pandering to me in that way. (laughs) I am totally okay with it. I think that ties it in nicely. Yes. Wraps it up with a little bow. Yeah. I wouldn't mind a cameo from from him specifically, but maybe some others as well. Like, yeah, there there are other people that are alive during this time that we know. Mm -hmm. Um, And besides Dumbledore, who's obviously integral to the plot, but yeah no Dumbledore what <laughs> I mean know. a young McGonagall would be cool to see uh, I think it yeah. may be a little too early but she could be like really young um I mean there's Slughorn there's Bagshot mm-hmm. who we never mm-hmm. really met but uh who who was important to Grindelwald and Dumbledore's story so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if she shows up um yeah there's just a lot of this Hagrid Hagrid yes that would be fun Forget he's that old yeah, he's as old as Riddle. Aged well. <laughs> well, half giant, so. Yeah, you know. <laughs> well, let us know what you think about our discussion of all of these, you know, shady acts that all of our favorite characters made, or our predictions also about Fantastic Beasts, whether you think Newt's going to be up to it or not. Uh, you want to hear your feedback? We will be talking more about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, so... Stay tuned for more of that content in a future episode.
Yep. See you then.